2: Tonight on the Sword of the Spirit podcast, it's the United Methodist Church Exposed. I'm going to show you exactly why this is a false church that teaches damnable heresy. It starts right after this. way, and so that's why tonight I'm going to be exposing the United Methodist Church, which is what I came out of. I used to be a member of the United Methodist Church before I was saved, and so I know about it. I won't be covering too much about John Wesley himself, but more so the doctrines taught by the United Methodist Church So if you encounter someone who is a Methodist out soul winning, you'll get an idea on what it is they believe, which will help you. It'll go a long way in determining what you need to focus on in that gospel presentation. So it should be a show tonight that is useful in that regard, and also educational for people who might just be wondering, what's the difference between the United Methodist Church and some of the other false churches out there? What do they teach that sets them apart? What are they all about? And also, like I said, this should help you out when it comes to soul winning. Depending on where you live geographically, I know here in Jacksonville, Florida, I haven't encountered too many people who've said they're Methodists. I've encountered some, and in fact, one of them, exactly just one, turned out to be saved. The good news about a lot of these watered-down liberal denominations is because they don't teach very much doctrine at all. Some people who got saved at a Baptist church earlier in their lives but are backslidden, who end up at a Methodist church or some other watered-down denomination where no doctrine is taught— They go to those churches because they're feel-good type churches. They see the purple lights and the smoke, and the "Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me." Queer little sissy CCM music, and they like it, and so they stick around. And nothing really ever convicts them to leave because there's no doctrine, there's no false, there's no doctrine at all being taught whatsoever. Now, of course, there is false doctrine that's taught, but it's done so wrapped in kind of a cheerful, lovey-dovey, soft type of message, and so a lot of people are duped into attending these kind of churches. But behind all of those platitudes, behind their buzzwords, behind the messaging is a satanic agenda. Behind all that messaging is damnable heresy taught by the United Methodist Church, they do not believe the gospel. Don't fall into the trap of the talking points they have where they say they believe salvation is by faith. They don't. They vehemently deny eternal security, and if you deny eternal security, you deny the gospel of Christ. They also teach that a person has to have works after getting, quote, saved, in order for them to truly be, quote, saved, and they were never saved if they didn't have the works. Now, just that term, saved, Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That term implies it's a done deal. That term implies it's a one-time event that occurs in your life, and once you believe on Jesus Christ— the necessary prerequisite for salvation, you get saved with a D at the end. Because you don't get unsaved and then saved again and then unsaved again. If you get, if you fall, I should say, into a backslidden state and then saved one more time because now all of a sudden you're righteous, but then oh you backs you went backsliding again, so you're unsaved, lose your salvation, gain your salvation, lose your salvation, gain your salvation. That's utter foolishness and these pseudo-intellectual theologians, although they feign themselves to be smart and they feign themselves to be these intellectuals with their big words sounding as if they do a lot of studying, in reality, I guess they're too stupid to figure out just how illogical and how preposterous it is for you to teach that someone can lose their salvation or give back their salvation. It's ridiculous. And it's funny because the United Methodist Church, they're big on Arminianism. And for those who don't know what that is, basically it's the opposite of Calvinism in the sense that Calvinism teaches God controls everything, there is no free will. Arminianism, they purport to believe in free will, but they go so far as to say that they think someone can give their salvation back you see a true bible believing christian is neither a calvinist or an Arminianist, or whatever the word would be you don't believe in either side because they're both false and by the way if you're arminian and you teach good works necessarily follow salvation that's the same thing as perseverance of the saints which is taught by calvinists so you see the left-right paradigm there democrat republican coke pepsi Arminian, Calvinist, it doesn't matter, they're both the same thing. Left wing, right wing, same bird. We know that's true politically, but it's also true in the theological world in the sense that both the Arminians and the Calvinists really do teach at least one of the five points of Calvinism, perseverance of the saints. It's all the same. Methodist churches are Catholic in nature. They openly state they believe in the Catholic Church, which they call the, Uni- the Universal Church, of course, Independent Fundamental Baptists, we deny that there is such a thing as a universal church. All Christians are saints. All Christians, we believe in the priesthood of the believer, but we believe in the local church, local congregations. The UMC would deny that and teach a universal church. They sprung out of Catholicism, But that's not the case for baptists we never sprung out of catholicism we never protested the catholic church we never had anything to do with the catholic church rightfully so because the catholic church is an idolatrous cult run by pedophiles and perverts the umc drifts so far away from the word of god i'm going to show you over the course of tonight that they don't even believe in the bible they openly deny scripture They teach scripture alone is not the only way in which to come up with doctrine. They also claim that you must add tradition and, quote, reason to that as well, which is a thinly veiled attempt to discredit the word of God and change certain interpretations of scriptures based on what popular culture says, which is why they ordain female quote, ministers. They ordain female pastors, totally ignoring what the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 2 verse 12, totally ignoring what the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 34, totally ignoring what the Bible teaches about women in leadership. Methodists love faggotry and dykestry pillar and ground, says in the live chat room on YouTube, and that's absolutely correct. Another point I'll go over tonight is, in fact, the Methodist Church is extremely soft on the sodomites. This should come as no surprise to anyone, because even people who would purport to be independent fundamental Baptists these days are soft on the sodomites. But before I jump into the meat and potatoes, if you will, of tonight's broadcast, I just want to say once again, Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. To all of you in the chat room, I really appreciate you spending your Monday night with me on this October 28th, 2019. If you don't know who I am or if this is the first time you've ever tuned into the show, my name is Benjamin Naim, but I'm known as Ben the Baptist on YouTube. I've had this channel for a few years now, youtube.com slash benthebaptist. It used to be exclusively a political channel, but then I got saved and I turned it into a channel about the Lord Jesus Christ and biblical Christianity. The key word there is biblical Christianity. I'm a member of Steadfast Jacksonville on the preaching rotation there. Thanks to Pastor Jonathan Shelley for entrusting me with that role. And it's definitely been a wild ride so far this year for Steadfast Jacksonville. But you know what? I'm glad to be along for the ride This podcast airs live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central, and you can find it on youtube.com slash Baptist. and I'll make sure to include an audio-only version in the comments section. It'll be the first comment. I'll pin it, so if you guys want to listen to the audio-only version of the show, if you don't have the paid subscription to YouTube and you don't want to drain the battery on your phone, then you can listen to it. Uh, on the go with your phone. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into this here, The United Methodist Church Exposed. I have 10 points I'm going to go over tonight, 10 points, 10 errors of the United Methodist Church. There are many others. And so I'll probably end up doing another podcast on this, but for now, I'm going to do I'm just going to go over these 10 points. I'm going to talk about some of these major uh, mistakes, errors, false doctrines that they promote. My first point, I guess, if you want to call it that, is the United Methodist Church denies once saved, always saved. I know I already went over this, but I want to prove it to you. They deny once saved, always saved. These United Methodist devils who teach this false doctrine are responsible for sending people to hell because you must believe in eternal security in order to go to heaven. If you think you could lose your salvation, you're trusting yourself to keep it. Now, here it is straight from UMC.org, their denial of eternal security. It says here, one saved, always saved? No, we're not Calvinists. So notice how they attach the false doctrine of Calvinism to one saved, always saved. Eternal security and perseverance of the saints are two completely different things, but they build a straw man here on their own website and then knock it down. Perseverance of the saints teaches that once you're saved, you will necessarily produce works, which, by the way, is exactly what the UMC teaches. So they more, they're more they more likely to be confused with a Calvinist than I am or than someone who's actually saved they more closely resemble Calvinists than people who are actually saved because they teach works as a necessary result, which I'll get to a little bit later on. Anyway, let me go ahead and read their full statement here. One saved, always saved? No, we're not Calvinists. We don't believe God has orchestrated the world and the universe to make that the necessary outcome for some limited number of the preselected, which, by the way, I agree with. And we're not reduced i agree with that aspect in the sense that god didn't just choose who's going to get saved and jesus died for everyone not a pre-selected subset of the population and we're not reducing salvation to a propositional transaction as some forms of american protestant proclamation has done So that once we believe and say certain things, no matter what else happens, we have salvation and can never, quote, lose it. That's what they say right there on UMC.org. Isn't that interesting? How they openly deny the gospel of Christ. They openly deny salvation by grace through faith alone. And in fact, this paragraph here, it's sort of written in kind of a mocking tone. It seems like they're making a mockery of salvation by faith because it says we're not reducing they call the gospel reducing we're not reducing salvation to a propositional transaction as some forms of american Protestant. and then it says so that once we believe and say certain things no matter what else happens we have salvation interesting so they believe that a prayer to the lord jesus christ asking him to save the individual who's calling out to him For salvation can be whittled down to simply quote saying certain things now doesn't that show an inner hatred for Jesus you say why would you why would you articulate that they hate Jesus Christ I thought they're a church no they hate Jesus they're a false church and the reason why I say they hate Jesus is because they don't believe in or worship the Jesus of the Bible They worship the Jesus of their own imaginations. That's who they worship. They've created a God in their own image. It's pure idolatry. And it's funny because it says here, in their attempt to smear the gospel in this straw man that they built up, so that once we believe and say certain things, no matter what else happens, we have salvation and can never lose it. Hmm, that actually kind of sounds like what the Bible actually says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Doesn't that sound like, oh, I don't know, Romans chapter number 10, verse 9? But they mock it because they hate Jesus and because they hate the Bible and because they don't adhere to the Bible. They don't appeal to the word of God. They appeal to themselves. They appeal to their own flawed intellect makes me sick, and I can't stand it. I can't stand the pride of man that would say, no, 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 no. I reject what the Bible clearly teaches, and instead, here's my own theological output, my own theological drivel nonsense. It's pride. That's all it is. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number 5, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Hello to the chat room, by the way. I do appreciate you guys participating tonight in the chat room. The Bible articulates there in 1 John chapter 5, if you deny that salvation is eternal, You're calling God a liar, and that's exactly what the United Methodist Church does. It calls God a liar. Their female pastors call God a liar. Their effeminate, queer, little sissy pastors call God a liar by denying eternal security in this mocking, dismissive tone, by the way, on their official website. The Bible says that if you deny it's eternal, you deny the record, you call God a liar, and you're not even saved. You're trusting yourself to keep your salvation if you think you can lose it. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out in John 6, 37. He says in John chapter 11, verse 26, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Couldn't be any more clear. Who am I supposed to believe? The words of Jesus Christ Himself, God manifest in the flesh, or John Wicked Wesley, who's burning in hell today? I think I'll go with Jesus. And I would hope if you haven't made a decision on salvation, you listen very carefully. If you find yourself stuck in the UMC and you think, man, their messages are so kind and loving and tolerant, and they always put these fake little smiles on their face whenever they preach their 10 minute sermons. And they make me feel good because they never preach against the sin I'm committing in my personal life. It's not genuine. It's fake. It's a fraud. And understand this. They don't even believe one of the most, if not the most, fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith, which is how to be saved. They deny eternal security. Look at John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can look at it yourself. If not, you can hear me quote it. In verse number 28, Jesus says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So again, I have to ask the question, am I supposed to believe Jesus? Or am I supposed to believe these fag hags at the United Methodist Church? I think I'll go with Jesus. And I would hope, again, if you find yourself in the UMC, you listen to the words of Jesus Christ tonight. Not my words. I'm quoting you the words of Jesus Christ tonight. And I hope you listen to those words and recognize you're stuck in a false religion and you need to get out. You're stuck in a false church and you need to get out because Jesus is saying the total opposite of what the UMC says on their website and what John Wesley taught. Just like Mormonism lifts up a man over God, the UMC lifts up John Wesley over God. It's almost like they think the guy is God. It's amazing to me. So that's a major issue. That's a major problem. And in fact, I could probably just close the live stream right there and just end it because that should be enough for you to realize how wicked this false denomination, this false church really is. But I'm not going to stop there. The second point I'm going to go over tonight is the United Methodist Church denies the authority of Scripture. They're not King James only, of course. That in and of itself would be a problem, but they deny the Word of God clearly. Here's Walter Wink. I read this yesterday afternoon when I preached a sermon about something unrelated. It was about hypocrisy, but here's a different part of the article I didn't read last night at church. Walter Wink, in his book, I should say, not an article, but his book entitled Homosexuality and the Bible. This is a theologian, a Methodist minister who died and went to hell in 2012. Praise God for that. He says this in his book, where the Bible mentions same-sex behavior at all, it clearly condemns it. So I guess we have to give this fool some credit because at least he recognizes the clear scriptures in Leviticus 20, Romans 1, and elsewhere. So they can't even deny a lot of these lefty, watered-down, fake Christians what the Bible says about the Sodomites. So let's see what their next course of action is. Will they submit to what the Bible says, or are they going to try and slither their way out of it anyway because they love the Sodomites way more than they love God? Well, we'll find out. He continues and says this, quote, I freely grant that. The issue is precisely whether the biblical judgment is correct. So, no, they're not going to submit to what the Bible says. Instead, they're going to attack the credibility of the Bible itself. You see there, this wicked devil who is burning in hell today, he died in 2012, is saying, The issue was precisely whether the biblical judgment is correct. Let me help you out there, buddy. The biblical judgment is correct, and you're the one who's wrong. The Bible sanctions slavery as well, he says, and nowhere attacked it as unjust. So he lies about what the Bible teaches about so-called slavery, which, by the way, variations of that word appear just twice in the entire Bible, so if it's really that big of a deal as some of these people make it seem, then you would think it would appear a lot more than that. And also, God literally rescued the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. How does that then translate to support for slavery? I'll never figure that one out. But anyway, he makes the claim that it's nowhere attacked as unjust. Hmm. What the hell? What happened to Exodus 21? they hop into that scripture. Exodus 21, verse 16, literally condemns the type of slavery that this guy is talking about. But this is what you hear from people who hate the Bible, is they'll constantly lie about it, and they'll bring up this slavery issue over and over. Well, what about slavery? It's a slavery. You don't even know what the Bible says about slavery. You've never cracked it open in your life. The people who tend to repeat this talking point have never even read the Word of God, but they want to play judge and jury and put the Bible on trial. But we can't allow them to do that as, as Christians who actually believe the Bible. Now, slavery, the way that people would think of it in the modern era, was not promoted or condoned by God servitude was, and I'm not going to go into this in detail on this show, but there are certain different scenarios in which servitude was condoned. For example, if someone committed a crime like theft, then that person would have to be a servant for a limited number of years. There are other situations as well where you see biblical servitude come into play But my point is, the guy wants to make you think that the slavery we saw in America resembles what the Bible would quote-unquote condone to try and attack it. Let's see what else they say here. This is courtesy of the United Methodist Church. In theological reflection, the resources of tradition, experience, and reason are integral to our study of Scripture— without displacing Scripture's primacy for faith and practice. Now, what does that mean? What's the translation? Here's what they're trying to say. This is the core of what this message is. Yeah, okay, we take the Bible into account, but we also mix it in with reason and tradition. So this is how they're able to justify having female pastors and everything like that because they say, well, the tradition back then when that Scripture was written is different than what we have today, and so therefore, it's perfectly fine for us to ordain females, which I'll get to. That's the next point. But we see how they try and delegitimize Scripture and attack Scripture so that they can replace Scripture with their own stupid logic. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, every word of God is pure. It says in 1 Peter 1, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love for the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible is incorruptible. The King James Version, the true word of God, is incorruptible seed. But according to this Methodist minister and theologian, who died and went to hell in 2012, well, it's corruptible. He thinks there are errors. He thinks there are mistakes. He writes about the mistakes in his book, trying to delegitimize it because he doesn't like what it says about the sodomites. The United Methodist Church loves the sodomites more than they love the Bible. They are so willing to defend them that they will discredit their own supposedly holy book. That should tell you everything you need to know. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What don't they understand about that? All scripture is profitable for doctrine. And you know what? God says he doesn't change. He's not going to change with the times. What he says goes. And obviously there's been a change also of the law, according to the book of Hebrews, but here's the thing, that doesn't mean that God's moral law vanished away. The Bible tells us what changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That would be the meats, drinks, diverse washings, carnal ordinances two weeks ago. I went over that on this very podcast entitled Old Covenant versus New Covenant. That was the, quote, main event top, talking point. I should say main event topic of that show, the beginning portion, I went over the news. Now, the third point on tonight's podcast, as I just take a peek at the chat room, let me see what's going on in there. Thought crime says, amen, Christ's blood took us out of, the, out of the slavery to sin. That is correct. Robert Gongora, Methodists believe the Bible evolves. That's true. Pillar and Ground, he says, the Bible uses the word slaves in Revelation 18 and is condemned. That's right. Good point there. Valid core. I've seen that excuse exactly calling the KJB a bad translation when it says for a woman not to speak in church. NIFB Javier Ramos Leviticus 2013 says it all. I'm in complete agreement there. Thank you for contributing in the chat room. I appreciate the live audience tonight. All right, third point. The United Methodist Church ordains women. Here's what they say about ordi- about the ordination of women. And I apologize if I flub my words. I just get a little overexcited about this because I used to be a part of the United Methodist Church, the wicked, devil, satanic, false United Methodist Church. So if I botch, flub my words, because I'm a little overexcited, I apologize ahead of time. Here's a quote from UMC.org about the ordination of women. Clergy women have been part of Methodism since John Wesley licensed Sarah Crosby to preach in 1761. Although women were ordained in the Methodist tradition as early as the late 1800s, it was the May 4th, 1956 General Conference vote for full clergy rights that have forever changed the face of ordained clergy. Now, they'll openly admit, and they'll say, yeah, we know the Bible teaches something just a little bit different about the ordination of women, but we ignore those scriptures because we don't think they apply in today's culture. Because, you see, you must interpret Scripture with reason and with tradition in mind. How about you interpret Scripture with the Holy Ghost in mind, which you don't have? So that's how you come up with these stupid false doctrines and these damnable heresies that you can lose your salvation. The Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth. We interpret Scripture with reason that comes from the Holy Spirit. They interpret Scripture with reason that comes from their own corrupted minds. And that's the difference. And yet... They feign themselves as being humble. They feign themselves as being people who are just searching for the truth with a false sense of humility, when in reality they're the most prideful, arrogant, stuck-up people you'll ever meet. It's the saved Bible-believing Christian who exhibits true humility because it's the saved Bible-believing Christian who says, I appeal to the Word of God, not myself. I change what I believe and what I think and what my mentality is and conform that to what the Bible clearly articulates. And if you're unsaved and you get saved, obviously there are going to be certain concepts that are perhaps going to catch you off guard when you dive into the scriptures. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, for me, there were certain things I definitely had to switch my thinking on when I decided to study the Bible and read it cover to cover for myself. But that's what you have to do. And you know what? That's true humility. 1 Timothy chapter two, it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Is that what you see at a typical UMC church? No. You see a dyke looking false teacher on a stage regurgitating a bunch of lies. That's what you get. But the Bible says women should learn in silence. Does this mean that women are lesser than men? No. Does this mean that women have a, a lesser value of life? Absolutely not. I respect all women. Like women in general, the idea of women. Obviously there's some women that are <laughs> that are uh, that are dastardly, that are devils. But anyway, my point is I'm not a hater of women or anything. It's just that gender roles exist and you can't just deny that, okay? And according to the Bible, it is not under the female gender role for them to be teachers in the church. Verse number 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Whoops, looks like that flies in the face of what the UMC says on their website and how they justify the ordination of women. Stupid, stupid feminist garbage. 1 Corinthians 14, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. The Bible says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. That includes amening. They need to be in silence. They need to be listening to what the preacher is teaching. And if they have any questions, they can ask their husbands at home. And practically, I've seen this in my life. I go to church, I listen to what the preaching is, and then I come home and I get questions at home. That's how it goes. And then I have to, my role as the husband is to be able to answer questions. I have to be able to answer questions. That's my role. I have to study the Bible, and if I can't answer a question I get at home, I have failed as a husband. I have failed in doing my role. And there are defined gender roles outlined in scripture we see one of them here that a woman should learn in silence with all subjection not amening amen preacher you hear that in even independent fundamental baptist churches today these women it's waving their arms around flailing their arms around amen preacher yeah come on preacher yeah come on now it's not biblical And it's certainly not biblical for them to be ordained as preachers like the UMC does, this watered-down, liberal, antichrist, false church. Here's point four. You say, how are they antichrist? Because they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. That's how they're antichrist. They've replaced him with hippie Jesus, the long-haired hippie Jesus. Point number four, the United Methodist Church believes in baptism— by immersion or sprinkling. Here's what they say. If you want to get baptized in their church, they're not going to check your salvation or anything like that. What they they will say is, okay, so how do you want to do it? Obviously, there might be some churches that do it differently, okay? But in general, this is what they'll do. How do you want to do it? You want to do it by immersion? You want to do it by sprinkling? Hey, we'll sprinkle. you have a baby? We'll sprinkle the baby too. I mean, that's up to you. We'll go ahead and we'll do whatever you like. Again, just... Ignore what the Bible says and instead adhere to their own stupid, flawed logic. Here's what umc.org says Our church has always offered to people being baptized and to the parents of infants the choice of sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Sprinkling is a common practice, but the person being baptized or their sponsors can choose the method most meaningful to them. You know what the method is that the Bible teaches? You get baptized by immersion after you're saved in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, not in the name of Jesus. That's the only part they get right is belief in the Trinity. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6 or, I'm sorry, Matthew 3 Excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. And Jesus when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water. What part of that don't you understand? Heretics. <clears throat> went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Really great passage here where you see the Trinity at play. And, lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was baptized, you see the Holy Ghost, you see Jesus himself, the Son of God, and then you also hear, or they heard there, the voice of God the Father. Described there in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37. Oh, that's right. It's deleted in the Bible versions the UMC loves. The NIVs they put in the pew. You don't get verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they, went both, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The doctrine of believer's baptism, that one must be saved first, then you go ahead and get, you get baptized after, is so clearly spelled out. This is the milk of the word. But when you don't have the Holy Ghost, obviously you're going to come up with off-the-wall garbage like what they do. Let's move into my fifth point here. You all agree. You all agree with all this, probably. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but my hope is there is someone stuck in a UMC church who comes across this live stream tonight and realizes, "Hey, I need to make a change." The United Methodist Church says salvation produces works. Let's get back to salvation again. The fundamentals of the Christian faith they get wrong intentionally. The key emphasis of Wesley's theology relates to how this is from Wikipedia relates to how divine grace operates within the individual. Wesley defined the way of salvation as the operation of grace in at least three parts. Prevenient, I, I don't even pronounce this, Pre, prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. Because who needs the Bible when you can come up with these theological terms so you could look all smart as your pseudo-intellectual friends give you a golf clap as you regurgitate soteriological terms that nobody uses in normal conversation. Sanctifying grace, by the way, sounds like works to me because it is. According to Wesleyan understanding, good works are the fruit of one's salvation. Eh, wrong. Not the way in which that salvation was earned. Faith and good works go hand in hand in Methodist theology. A living tree naturally and inevitably bears fruit. Wesleyan theology rejects the doctrine of eternal security. Doesn't get any more clear than that. Outwardly rejecting the doctrine of eternal eternal security. Wesleyan theology rejects the doctrine of eternal security, believing that salvation can be rejected. Because it makes sense for eternal life to end, right? Because it makes sense for eternal life, a present tense possession to end, and it makes sense for someone who possesses eternal life the second they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to somehow be able to give that back. No, it doesn't. (laughs) What did Jesus say in the scripture I read to you in John chapter number 10? I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's impossible for you to be plucked out of God's hand. That includes through your own efforts, by the way. There's nothing you could ever do to go to hell once you get saved. So let's take a look at this doctrine here that says, once you're saved, you'll automatically do the works. Because that's what they teach. That's what this UMC teaches. Well, it's addressed in Scripture, Galatians 3. It says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. I guess John Wesley would fall into this category, people who are trying to bewitch others into a false gospel. This only would I learn of you, received ye the spirit of the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, or are ye now made perfect by the flesh? UMC would say, eh, you begin by faith, but then you're made perfect by the flesh. But that's foolishness. Romans 7, here's what Paul says. Basically, UMC says there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, which Paul Washer would agree with. He has repeated that verbatim in the past. But here's what Paul says in Romans 7. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In Romans chapter 7, we see Paul explaining that sin emanates from the flesh. Sin emanates from sinful flesh okay that makes sense and Galatians chapter 5 talks about the works of the flesh which are manifested and it goes through adultery lasciviousness etc but my point is according to Paul there is such a thing as carnality which emanates from the flesh and in fact he called himself carnal he said in verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal sold under sin John Wesley taught the UMC teaches today If you backslide, you lose your salvation. And that once you're saved, you'll automatically do all the works. But here we have Paul saying, hey, I'm carnal. Here we have Paul making a distinction between that which is of the flesh. And we see later on in different epistles, he makes this distinction again between that which is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit. Romans chapter 7 talks about that, the flesh and the spirit. The idea that salvation automatically produces works, a.k.a. fruit, is false. The fruit it's talking about in Matthew chapter 7 are the words that come out of your mouth, or converts. Those are the two applications I accept. The words that come out of your mouth, or converts. Pastor Steven Anderson, for example, you can see his fruit. Pastor Jonathan Shelley is the fruit of Pastor Stephen Anderson. That's pretty good fruit. The church members at Faithful Word Baptist Church, that's pretty good fruit. If it's possible, or I should say if it's impossible... For someone to backslide after salvation and if salvation automatically produces good works then why is it a commandment for saved christians to live right if they're just going to automatically do it why does it say in galatians chapter 5 walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh if it's automatic and if we're just robots who get up out of bed after getting saved and automatically read our bible for four or five six hours a day go out soul winning for four or five six hours a day and live perfect Why is it a commandment in the Word of God for you to eschew the flesh and walk in the Spirit if it's automatic? Think about that. Totally illogical. Samson, Solomon, David, Saul, examples of men who backslid, yet they were saved. Saul murdered God's priests. He wanted to murder David out of jealousy. He killed himself at the end because God ruined his life so much and fell on a sword and died. But according to 1 Samuel 28, 19, guess where he went? Heaven because he had faith because he was saved. doesn't automatically produce works. Romans 4 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So to him that worketh not, no works. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities that are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. UMC says, Well, once you're saved, if you backslide, then you lose your salvation but romans chapter 4 says blessed is the man to whom the lord will not impute sin in the future because it's all paid for past present and future you know these people talk so much about how they want to be so humble i'm so humble i'm so loving well you know what humility is acknowledging jesus paid it all acknowledging that you can't add to what jesus did and you can't take away from what Jesus did. That's humility. Why don't they understand that? They don't have the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not denying that certain things change when you get saved, okay? Obviously, some stuff change in the sense that you get adopted into God's family. The Bible says you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So you become God's son or daughter. You, you gain the ability to interpret Scripture the Bible says, he, he that is of God, heareth God's words. Okay. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which, by the way, is further proof of the eternal security. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now, as a child of God, you are subject to his chastening. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, if you choose to live a life of rebellion, you'll be chastened on this earth. Let's move on to the sixth point. That's enough about that. We see just how many verses there are, and this is just scratching the surface, by the way, that you could use to debunk this. The UMC is in complete contradiction to the Bible. My sixth point is the United Methodist Church is soft on the sodomites, and this is a big controversy amongst their church right now. They're arguing about whether or not they can be ministers in the church. They're arguing about whether or not these pedophiles— can be ministers they're arguing about whether or not these pedophiles can be ordained that's what they're arguing about right now let me show you this news clip here courtesy of a local news affiliate and you can see for yourself what the methodist church is concerning themselves with just to give you a little picture of what's going on there when it comes to their soft view on the sodomites. Check this out for yourself. And of course, I'll be providing commentary on this a local Methodist church spearheaded a discussion today on whether some Methodist churches should split from the association over LGBTQ rights.
1: 41 Action News reporter Jordan Betts went to today's meeting at Church of the Resurrection. Jordan, what was the decision? Yeah, well, first of all, the decision was they're going to stay with the church, which is kind of shocking because back in February, the Methodist church voted to deny the LGBTQ members the chance to get to be married in the church. They also voted against be allowed new gay clergy. Well, today they met to discuss the church's future.
2: So, apparently, this is a big controversy. Can't marry in the church? Wow, they're really taking a stand. And we came together. Lies, by the way. Look at look at this dyke-looking false prophet behind this whatever that thing—a pulpit, I guess. Let's see what it has to say here. Either to discern a better way forward for the United Methodist Church, and this
1: gathering really was for a movement. That movement is to include the LGBTQ community. We affirm the sacred worth of LGBTQ persons. We celebrate their gifts and commit to being in ministry together.
2: Nice. You know what I say? Put them to death. I say stone them with stones because that's what the Bible says.
1: There was speculation that churches would split from the national organization, but they've chose to stay.
2: One
0: of those is stay and resist. So we're going to live into being the kind of...
2: Guy looks like he's got more estrogen in him than a lady's knitting hour look at this guy total soy boy and I don't care that he looks like he's in his 50s or 60s he's still a soy boy that's what the UMC does to people
0: Church that we want to be regardless of what the denominational rule says.
1: Changing the church from the inside out, including all gay members.
0: And I think that will happen, and I think change is happening so quickly across our society. While they say LGBTQ
1: members won't be able to get married in the church, pastors are working to change that for the future.
0: This is the same experience that so many have been going through uh, for the past generation, actually.
1: Reverend Tom R. of the Village Presbyterian Church said this same situation has happened before in the Metro.
0: The church split over issues of inclusion. A majority of issues folks of left. Um, uh, the folks who stayed wanted to be known as a community uh, that's defined not by who they exclude, but by who they include.
2: And that's who we are. He has hope more inclusion will be. First Corinthians 5 literally explains who you should exclude.
1: Made in all
0: churches. It's an important conversation. It's just because-
2: amazing to me how everything they say contradicts the Bible. everything because communities this is not christianity this is not christianity at all this is a different religion it's a different god that's the only way i can explain this away to people this is the only way that this makes any sense it's a different god they worship a different jesus
0: Fear when their churches are, are known for being welcoming. Uh,
2: and Actually, no. Churches that allow sick predators in end up having to deal with children being hurt and people being victimized because of soft, little watered-down, little sissy wastes like you.
0: And known for being inclusive of all the people in the community.
1: So those 600-plus members will now go back to their churches to talk about really what's next and what they can do to make changes in their church because now all people can do is wait. Jordan Betts, 41 Action News.
2: All right, that's enough of that. You see it there. Let me go back to my screen here. So it's a controversy in their church, and there are some churches that are choosing not to split over this, and there are other churches who are. Well, you know what? My Bible says in Romans chapter 1 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Before that, it says, it talks about in Romans chapter 1, let me pull it up here because I can usually quote this, but for some reason it's evading my mind at this very moment. But it talks about in Romans chapter 1, it says, let me get to it here. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, For even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now it's coming to me. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, which means rejected. So while they argue about whether or not these people can even get married in the church or get ordained in the church or be part of the ministry. People who actually believe God support what he said about this in Romans chapter 1, in Leviticus chapter 20. They want predators in their church. And if you don't think they're predators, go back and read Genesis 19. Go back and read Judges 19. Let's move on from that. They're soft on the sodomites It should come as no surprise because they want to feign themselves as loving and tolerant. But you know what? They're not loving. They're hateful. Because these same people don't go out and preach the gospel. They reject the gospel of Christ. They damn souls to hell. They make people twofold more the child of hell than themselves. That, there's nothing more hateful than that. There's nothing more hateful than making another soul, uh, making another human being twofold more the child of hell than yourself. That's what they do because they reject eternal security, they reject the gospel, they reject salvation by faith. And so, of course, they don't do any soul winning. They don't care that people are dying and going to hell. They want to aid in sending more people to hell. But then they get up and say, oh, we're so loving, we want homosexuals to come to our church. You're not loving, you're hateful, hypocritical pieces of trash is what you are. And I'm not talking about the lay person who gets deceived into following their doctrines or following the church. I'm talking about the people who are purveyors of the religion, the leadership of false religion. You see, we should love the deceived, hate the deceivers. I love the deceived, don't get me wrong. I love the deceived. I hate the deceivers. I love people who are deceived. I want them to not be deceived anymore. I want them to understand that they can be eternally secure in Jesus Christ. I don't want them to buy into this garbage, this damnable heresy. I want them to understand that salvation is by faith. I want them to know the truth about the sodomites before their loved ones get victimized by one of, the, one of these predators. That's what I want. And the new IFB loves people. That's why we go out into the hedges. That's why we go out into the ghettos sometimes. We go anywhere, including the ghettos. And we knock doors and we preach the gospel. You know why? Because that's loving. That's why we do that. Because it's love. That's true love right there. That's true love. So yes, I love these people. I love the deceived. But I hate the deceivers. Seventh point, the United Methodist Church opposes the death penalty. Now, I'm not going to go into this too much because last week on the show, we went into the death penalty for a large majority of the program. The United Methodist Church opposes the death penalty. Here's what they say about it. The United Methodist Church, along with some other Methodist churches, condemns capital punishment, saying that it cannot accept retribution or social vengeance as a reason for taking human life. So, they reject the death penalty— which, by the way, again, completely opposite to what the Bible says. Now, we shouldn't be shocked by this. Leviticus twenty four seventeen, And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. Anyway, I'm not going to go into this in detail. Listen to last week's show if you want more information on how the death penalty would be implemented if we, uh, if we actually lived in a Christian country, if we actually lived under a Christian government, what that sort of the- theocratical system would look like If that's even a word but anyway uh, we talked about that last week with my special guest peter james check out his youtube channel pillar and ground on youtube that was an epic show with brother peter james who is a friend i consider him a friend point number eight the united methodist church opposes creation so we're continuing with the theme everything they believe contradicts the bible So why not creation itself? Here's what they say on creation. The United Methodist Church, like many mainline Protestant denominations and the Roman Catholic Church, has determined that there's no conflict between faith and the theory of evolution. They have endorsed evolution publicly. Some clergy have stated that, quote, it's time for people of faith to accept evolution. Additionally, the UMC officially affirms the theory of evolution and, quote, Opposes introducing theories such as creationism or intelligent design into public school curriculum. So there you have it. They hate creationism. They hate what the Bible says. In 2016, let me continue here. The denomination denied approval for a creationist group to be officially represented at the church's general conference. That's courtesy of Wikipedia. So they deny creationists, they don't want creationists to be represented in their church's general conference, but when it comes to sodomites, let them in! They're more welcoming to sodomites than people who believe in creation. (laughs) I can't even just, I can't even, like... Say that without wanting to bash my skull into something. All right, Exodus 2011. What does the Bible say there? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. You know what that sounds like to me? A six-day literal creation event, which is utterly incompatible with your stupid evolution taught in the public fool system today. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God You know what? That's it. That's all we need. A lot of these atheists, a lot of these evolutionists want to debate me, and I reject them every time, because I don't need to debate you. Here's what I would do if I was in a debate with an atheist. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. I'm done. Case closed. I relinquish the rest of my time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So they support the Sodomites, but they They don't want creationists. They take a hard stand against creationists, but they're open and affirming and inclusive to someone. I guess that inclusivity doesn't apply to people who believe in a literal creation account. Think about this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to lose my mind and yell at you all night, but think about this. In 2016, the denomination denied approval for a creationist group to be officially represented at the church's general conference. But then they turn around and say, We support inclusiveness. Hypocrites! No, you don't! I just hate meaningless platitudes that people repeat to try and make themselves seem like they're loving and tolerant when in reality they have a double standard. And they apply that to Christians, they apply the people who believe the Bible. They take a stand, they believe in separation for people who believe the Bible. But if you hate it, if you reject it, if you're an atheist, of course you can come right into the United Methodist Church. They're fine with that. They're cool with that. They're only for inclusiveness if you believe in their propaganda. That's called being a hypocrite. It's called having a separate standard for everyone else than yourself. I just preached on this. Next point, number nine. We're almost done. The United Methodist Church supports gun control. Total liberal political talking point here. Look what it says. The United Methodist Church, courtesy of Wikipedia, supports federal legislative efforts for strict gun control measures in the United States and outright bans of most weapons in other nations. The church also declares every church to be a weapon-free zone. Now, I want you to hold on just a minute, okay? You stay right there. I'll be right back. See the United Methodist Church are full of a bunch of softies who hate guns and yes I use a pillow here keeps me comfortable but anyway they hate guns okay and they oppose guns they oppose gun ownership they also teach a doctrine that says they also teach a doctrine that says it's not you're not allowed to do self-defense but self-defense is wrong in all cases they think jesus basically abolished self-defense let me explain something to you somebody breaks into my home at night you know what they're gonna get one of these right here okay this is what they're gonna get right here they're gonna get a 40 cal to their face if somebody breaks into my home in the middle of the night try to hurt me try to hurt my family that's what they're gonna get and it's perfectly biblical for you to defend yourself using lethal force and to put one of these into the brain of someone who tries to kill you in the middle of the night, tries to hurt you, tries to hurt your loved ones, your wife, your children, etc. But the UMC, they oppose guns. They don't want you to own a firearm. They're going along with the globalist agenda. More on that in a little bit. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter. Number 23, verse 9. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captains of hundreds spears and bucklers and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. So, if guns are so bad and we should support gun control, why were there weapons in the house of God? Maybe because it's godly for you to own weapons. Luke 22, verse 36, Then said he unto them, But now he he that hath a purse is Jesus talking. Let him take it, and likewise his scrip, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Jesus Christ told his disciples to arm themselves with swords but of course, what does the United Methodist Church say? We want gun control. The United Methodist Church says, we want to take away your right to own a firearm, to take away your right to use one of these, well really a a gun that shoots one of these, in order to protect yourself. Now look, I love people. I don't want to get in a situation where I'd have to use my gun. I would hate that. And I'm non-confrontational, and I don't want any issues with people and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if I had no choice but to use a gun to protect my life or to protect my wife, future kids, whatever the case may be, yeah, obviously, I believe I have that right according to the Word of God, which says that if a thief be found broken up and he's smitten and dies, just paraphrasing, there shall no blood be shed for him. The Bible does say, though, that if the sun is risen upon him, then there shall be blood shed for him, meaning you can't go track the guy down the next day and kill him. But it does say that if he breaks into your home and you do kill him, there shall no blood be shed for him. If you use one of these 40 cows right here to protect your property, there shall no blood be shed for him. Final point, and I'm going to go off the air. The United Methodist Church endorses the New World Order. That's right. Here's what they say in the Book of Resolutions of the United Methodist Church. Quote, Believing that international justice requires the participation of all peoples and nations, we endorse the United Nations, its related bodies, the International Court of Justice, and the International Criminal Court as the best instruments now in existence to achieve a world of justice and law. They endorse the satanic United Nations. They endorse the exact same globalist offshore party that's going to be responsible for bringing in the structure of government that will one day be led by the Antichrist. The Bible tells us in Revelation 13, verse 7 And it was given on him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. The Antichrist will rule over the world. And it'll be a global government. It'll be a new world order. That's a subject I've covered on this podcast before. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Points nine and ten kind of go in together because the gun control agenda is being used to one day bring in the new world order. It's all connected because if you remove the individual's right to defend themselves, then obviously that makes it a heck of a lot easier for you to dissolve their civil liberties and bring in the corporate world government, the tyrannical world government that's coming in the end times, which will play a huge role in the tribulation period. But my point is, and by the way, I am for gun control. Use two hands. Make sure you're gripping it right. Okay. Anyway, my point is the UMC openly endorses the United Nations. They love the United Nations. They say, we support the United Nations. We endorse, quote, verbatim, That's from the Book of Revolutions. We endorse—resolutions, rather—we endorse the United Nations, that's what they say. But the United Nations is a satanic fraud attacking nation-state sovereignty. Guess what? Countries should have borders, okay? Countries should have borders. God didn't create the world with the intention of it being just a borderless, one-world government ruling everything. Go read Genesis chapter 11 and see what he did when mankind tried to establish a centralized government. Countries should have sovereignty. But the United Nations tries to attack that sovereignty through Agenda 2030, through Agenda 21. They want you living in a tiny little miniature apartment, driving a smart car, if that, or riding a bike, In a dystopian future. That's what they're looking for. And they'll probably establish it. In fact, they will. The Bible says that a new world order is coming, it's gonna be ruled over by the Antichrist, and the United Methodist Church, make no mistake about it, is gonna be at the forefront of that satanic, wicked, anti-Christian agenda. Make no mistake about it. When they're tracking down Christians who reject the mark of the beast, The UMC leadership is going to be right there with them tracking down those same Christians who reject those Christians who are going to be smeared as conspiracy theorists and hate groups and terrorists and all the rest of it. The United Methodist Church is going to be right there with them tracking these Christians down, putting them to death, all in the name of inclusivity. That's what they're going to do. All in the name of inclusivity, they're going to just wipe, or or I should say, contribute to wiping Christians out because they hate God. The leadership does. They hate God. They hate Christians. Guess what? If you're, if you're a fan of this show, if you're a fan of the new IFB, if you're saved, they hate you. There, I said it. They hate you. That's just how it goes. So I think that'll do it for the show tonight. I went over 10 points explaining why the United Methodist Church is wicked as hell. I hate them. You say, why'd you get so emotional? I used to be one of them. If I hadn't gotten saved, I would have gone to hell. A United Methodist Church member. Yes, I was radically different under the UMC. And that's an understatement. But, thankfully, I watched Pastor Anderson's sermon, One Saved, Always Saved, and that cleared up the confusion on eternal security, and I called the name of the Lord. I got saved, went to church, rest is history. I do want to thank everyone in the chat. Thanks for bearing with me. Again, I didn't mean to scream and yell throughout this whole thing, but man, I just get, I hate every false way. So I get a little animated at times. But thanks for supporting me anyway. I appreciate it. Let me give one last shout out before I go ahead and wrap it up. We've got Harp's Desire who constantly tries to start an argument that I ignore every time. Paul Christian, NIFB, Javier Ramos. We've got Pillar and Ground in there. Thank you, Pillar and Ground, for appearing on the show last week. That was a heck of a a podcast. Robert Gongora is in there as well, and some other folks. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. That's it for the show, and I will go ahead and close it now. You can tune into the podcast each and every single week, Monday night at nine Eastern, eight p.m. Central, right here on youtubecom slash ben The Baptist. Podcast is also available on iTunes, the uh, Apple Podcast is what it's called, and the Stitcher Radio app. Just use the keyword "Ben the Baptist," all one word, and you'll find it. Until next time, God bless you all. If you're stuck in the UMC, listen to me very carefully. I love you. I want you to get saved. And so please search The Bible Way to Heaven on YouTube and get saved. Until next time, I will see you all next Monday. Have a good one.